Hello, my nonprofit unicorns. Real quick, if this podcast has helped you at all in the past year, can you do me a favor and leave a rating and a review? This helps the almighty algorithms determine that my podcast is worth showing to new people. I appreciate it and I appreciate you. Now on with today's show. Hello and welcome to Nonprofit Nation. I'm your host, Julia Campbell, and I'm going to sit down with nonprofit industry experts, fundraisers, marketers, and everyone in between to get real and discuss what it takes to build that movement that you've been dreaming of. I created the Nonprofit Nation podcast to share practical wisdom and strategies to help you confidently find your voice, definitively grow your audience, and effectively build your movement. If you're a nonprofit newbie or an experienced professional who's looking to get more visibility, reach more people, and create even more impact, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Nonprofit Nation. So thrilled to be here in your earbuds, in your car, wherever you're listening, folding laundry, driving the kids around. I know I really like to sometimes take the long way home from school drop-off so that I can listen to a podcast. So anywhere you are, I'm really grateful to be here with you. Today, we're going to talk about something really interesting. So you have to kind of bear with me because it's not a topic that I think we talk about a lot in the sector. We're going to talk about overcoming money blocks and prosperity consciousness, which I'm really, really thrilled about. So my guest is Jared Ransom, also known as the Nonprofit Nerd. Jared has experience working in the trenches of the nonprofit community for about 20 years, and she's CEO of the Rayvan Group, LLC, in which she consults with tax-exempt businesses to see the future of their organization, not just their immediate needs, but down the road extending three, five, or 10 years and beyond. And Jared and I met because she serves as co-host of The Nonprofit Show, which is the daily live broadcast where the national nonprofit community comes together for problem-solving, innovation, and reflection. I don't know how you do it daily, but maybe that's something else we need to talk about. I think it's so inspiring. And another little fact about Jarrett that I love, she and her son, they love to explore the great outdoors. They've currently visited 14 national parks so far and plan on seeing all of the U.S. national parks together. That's amazing. That's wonderful. So I want to welcome Jarrett to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you so very much. I'm I'm sitting here like on the edge of my seat, just waiting to chime in. So thank you for that beautiful introduction and background of who I am. I'm really honored to be here with you. So National Parks, what's next on the list? You know, uh, so we live in Arizona and we also... In August last year, I bought a condo, a very small condo in Park City, Utah. So we spend our time between Arizona and Utah. And believe it or not, we haven't done the parks in California yet. And they're Mm. our neighbors. Like we need to do that. So I think we're going to visit the California parks. But many of my clients, you know, have gotten me to other parts of the nation. And so whenever that happens, I take him with me on occasion when I can make that happen. And we also get to check off some other national parks across the beautiful nation. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. You're now taking a little bit of a 
pivot talking about some new topics, some things that you're personally interested in. Uh, And that's what we want to talk about today. So can you tell me about some of the work that you're doing now and sort of how you made that, that shift? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that open invitation. You know, so I've been in the nonprofit sector 20 plus years. All I know truly is nonprofit. You know, I actually like to say that I went to school before really nonprofit management was an opportunity for me. Mm. (laughs) So I did mass communication and theater and I love being kind of like in that spotlight. So yeah, we can certainly talk about the daily, the daily show for that. But what I realized over time truly was that, you know, who I am, I'm, I'm, I was going to say a little bit, but that's not true. I'm a lot of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of it. A lot that's of it. My, that's, I'm going to put that on a shirt. I know. Are you a little bit or a lot of it? I'm a lot of bit of like a hippie gypsy soul, very spiritual, very woo-woo at times. And I never thought that that had a place in my professional world. Mm. And then I thought to myself, well, who said that, right? Like, why am I thinking that? That's BS, if you don't mind me using that. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to pull more of that into what I do, this prosperity consciousness, this belief that there's so much abundance. Because I think you could agree, Julia, we see this all too often, the Mm -hmm. scarcity mindset in nonprofits, right? It's like scarcity, scarcity, scarcity. And I just want to kick scarcity in the butt and say like, there's so much abundance and let's think about this abundantly. And let's really have this intentional consciousness about prosperity and intentional consciousness about abundance. So I do bring it in a lot into my executive coaching that I do. And also truly into working with like the C-suite leaders to say, Hey, let's not put our price tag on the value of a dollar. You know, let's really just like open this up into this whole abundance space. So it's been a lot of fun because I've been bringing a lot, a lot of me (laughs) into that professional world that again, previously I was like, I don't think there's a place for that, but there absolutely is a place for that. There absolutely is a place for you to be you. And when you're passionate about something, it really comes through. And if you're not passionate about something, it also comes through. So I think having that, that passion and I also really, I think it's so interesting because I know a tiny little bit about money blocks enough to be dangerous, but I'm really excited to learn more because I know that it's something that, especially in fundraising, everything we're taught in our youth, everything we're taught from our parents, everything we're taught growing up, everything we're taught in our, in our culture, whatever your culture might be, really money is generally a a taboo topic. But right. so what is prosperity consciousness? Give us the like yeah. 101. Yeah, for sure. And I'm going to speak, you know, very casually, very informally. I don't have like an academic background in this. So all of this is truly like my intuition, which I also believe we all have, right? We just need to tap into it. So for me, really that prosperity consciousness is that intention to think abundantly, to think about Let's look at the greatness that is available. Let's look at all of this as opportunity and not as challenges, not as roadblocks, and really just like setting the intention of greatness and the intention of of abundance. And it really, I believe, can be that simple, right? It really can be that simple. And for fundraisers, for executive directors and CEOs, as well as board members, the first thing I hear is, Oh, I hate asking for money. That's so uncomfortable. Mm. And I'm here to tell you, I absolutely freaking love it. (laughs) I I don't know if I've ever heard maybe several guests, a couple of guests, but I don't know if I've ever heard someone say it with quite that 
I know like that enthusiasm. I know. And I really want everyone to absolutely freaking love it a lot of it because it, it can be fun. It really can be fun. And I want, you know, I just want to share more of that passion with so many others so that we can do more in our community because with more abundance, with more profit, right? With more resources, financial resources, we can make an even bigger difference. So Mm -hmm. anytime I go to a networking meeting, I always like to say, I'm the nonprofit nerd putting profit back into nonprofit because it seems to be a myth that you can't have both. Yes. So (laughs) you talk about in your blog, especially on LinkedIn, that this is a mindset. And if you're able to identify it, and be intentional around it and think about your money blocks. Yeah. You say, address them and work through them that you will find you're much better at inviting people to support your nonprofit's mission. Wow. So how does this translate into making people better fundraisers? Well, first of all, I want to encourage and invite everyone. The next time you go out to eat, to happy hour, to purchase something, just observe yourself on how you look at that item and then the price associated with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we see that even as children, and I've seen it so very often with friends and and their children to say, you can only order off of this menu. Right. Or, or you'll hear someone say, oh, well, I really wanted to get this entree, but it's too expensive. Like those are money blocks and those are intentional money blocks to where at some way we have incurred this learned behavior that that dollar amount is too much for us, Mm -hmm. right? It is too much for us. I was at an airport and I went to pick up this water bottle. And then we all know at the airport, there's Mm -hmm. a little higher, you know, higher charge of everything, including water. And this, this man said to me, like, you're getting that water. It's so expensive. And I literally, I couldn't, I could not bite my tongue, but I looked Uh at him and I said, I'm sorry, are you purchasing this for me? And like, I, I literally was just like, how dare him tell me what I'm worth and what I'm not worth because that's the water I and want. And what hydration is worth because it's worth everything, especially when you're flying. Exactly. It is life, right? It is life force. And so these are the things that I, I really want people to observe. Even when you take your children you know, out to eat or something, it's like what you say and what they say is learned behavior and it becomes associated with our own personal worth and our own personal value. I see this in nonprofits so often where the event committee will create the auction list and they're like, well, no one's going to pay X amount for this auction item. Mm -hmm. And it's like, are you sure? Because I think you're still buying on your pocketbook and your checking account, not the donor's pocketbook and the donor's checking account. Now I will back it up and say, you absolutely need to know the demographic of your audience, right? You really do need to know who's in the room look at your data from previous galas or events, but you are not shopping with your checking account, right? These are the donor checking account. And many people that are very philanthropic are also often very affluent. And so what they see the value of a dollar might be very different from you and your event committee. So that's really where I like to bring it in and bring the fold into the nonprofit. Like we live this every single day. Let's talk about the gas prices, right? Mm -hmm. We drive down and we're like, holy crap, that is so expensive, you know? And we 
bring that value into everything we do, especially in the nonprofit. And I'm just here to invite people to acknowledge their own money blocks, acknowledge, you know, what has come up for you in your past, maybe even your childhood, how you were raised, you know, how your parents raised you and how that's showing up for you so that you're, you're limiting your success and your nonprofit success of fundraising. It's fascinating. So let's talk about money blocks because I'm not sure that all my listeners are are familiar with what they are. Sort of what are they and how can we identify them? So uh, for me, I really see money blocks showing up again as that I can't ask this donor for a certain amount of money because that's too much money. Mm -hmm. And so if we have a major donor and let's say a major donor for this specific scenario is Mm $5,000, but we're seeing this person and we're thinking and we're judging and we're stereotyping to say, and I'm going to also add probably not looking at the capacity in the donor database, right? We're just judging a book by its cover to say, I don't think this person could be a major donor. I don't think this person has the ability to make a $5,000 gift. That is a money block. That is something that we are intrinsically putting on this person and we are blocking this money opportunity for them, right? We're really blocking this opportunity for them. That's how I see it and describe it and kind of like interpret it. Again, I'm not academically, you know, educated in this. So it really all for me comes, you know, through an intuition and intention and, and that form. And so I think there's so many times where we limit the success of our fundraising because we are uncomfortable asking for more. We're uncomfortable, you know, asking for a certain dollar amount, which perhaps that donor, that investor, that supporter truly has the ability and the willingness to do that. But we ourselves attach our own money story of that's too much Mm -hmm. to that ask. I hope that makes more sense to the listeners. Right. I think we all have that money story and we've all grown up in different circumstances. We've all grown up with, you know, different life experiences. And that really informs how we think about and talk about money. And when I started learning more about money blocks and our money story, it really made so much sense to me as to why sometimes I have a hard time like communicating with my husband about money because he has such a different upbringing, a different story, different experiences around it. So I think you're absolutely right. Like we tend to, as fundraisers or marketers or or leaders at nonprofits, we stamp our own version of the story onto other people. Like we project what we think we would do or, Mm. oh, I would hate to, I'm just thinking in marketing, oh, I wouldn't want to get three emails a month. Well, okay. But maybe someone else would want to, and if they're valuable, if if you're providing value, if you're providing meaning, if you're being intentional with what you're doing, you can't speak for your entire audience of donors. You can't speak for your entire audience of supporters. So yeah. what are some ways that we can get through this? What are some strategies or things that we can do to kind of work through these, these yeah. challenges, these roadblocks and obstacles? 
Yeah. For me, I, you know, again, not a therapist, not a psychiatrist, but I really do like to go back to say, okay, what is my money story, right? How was I raised? How did I value the dollar? I was raised, Julia, by very blue collar parents. Uh, They were both small business owners. I joke and say like, I know what it's like to eat steak one month and spam the next because truly like the life of an entrepreneur is this roller coaster. There's high highs, there's low lows. And there's times where my mom would pick me up for gymnastics practice. She'd give me a sandwich and I'd open it up like that old Wendy's commercial. Where's the beef, mom? And there was just a mayonnaise sandwich. Like it truly was a mayonnaise sandwich. And I knew then that that was one of our low lows. We didn't have the financial resources as a family. And so I do like to go back and say, okay, what is that learned behavior that you experienced in earlier years, right? And then how can we just address that, own it for our own, but not project it on someone else? So even as you said, you and your husband, I love that. Like the two of you, you already know you have different money stories. I'm sure you and I have very different money Mm -hmm. stories. I'm sure all of our listeners, you know, have extremely different money stories and just like becoming comfortable with talking about money. You said earlier, like it's always been so taboo Mm -hmm. and let's face it. I mean, now we are pushing for equitable practices when it comes to job postings so that we have the hiring range and the salary in the job posting Mm -hmm. that also helps our money story, right? It really does go to this whole equitable practice of diversity, equity, inclusion, access and our money stories. And so, you know, really like just acknowledging yours, not to say that you're going to fix it. (laughs) I mean, you could, but maybe a therapist is, is better for that than this, you know, than this podcast episode, but also looking at, okay, let's look at the data. Let's look Mm -hmm. at what is in our donor database. Let's look truly at the analytics of the previous years of this donor's giving capacity. What have they given to? And let's just make a very educated decision on asking this donor or donor group for money because it should not be tied to our personal money value. And that's when it connects to our money block. It really needs to be, you know, the donor information is in the data. So Mm. totally dig in to your donor database. Look at, you know, what is the capacity of this potential donor? I think you've seen it, but there's amazing donor databases out there that literally do the math for you and Mm -hmm. will tell you just how much you should ask this donor. Truly, just how much you should ask this donor. As well as AI showing up, artificial intelligence showing up more and more to say, okay, if we go to a landing page for a nonprofit, which I love AI for this, you can go into the website of this nonprofit. And because of my previous trends and and donations of what I've made online, the nonprofit is going to suggest through their artificial intelligence donor database, how much I should make a gift for. Mm -hmm. So if I go to this nonprofit's, you know, webpage, donation webpage, Julia, it's going to tell me what I have the ability to give. Like same for you. If you go to the same page, it could say a totally different price, higher, lower, the exact same. And so again, I really do like to take, you know, our money blocks and all of that into the data because the data for the donor is very different than how you are projecting that capability because you're internalizing it for your own scarcity mindset. So there's so much out there to help us. We just, again, have to be comfortable talking about money, asking about money and truly showing the impact. I like to say for the investment Mm-hmm. of the community. That's why I love doing it. I love asking for money. I love the idea 
Okay, first of all, I did want to point out I am a partner with Fundraise Up, and Fundraise Up has that exact capacity where, you know, I, I have clients ask me, well, how do I know? what donation menu to give people when they go to the website? Like what should the, should it start at 10? Should it start at 20? Should it start at 50 and fundraise up? And I don't know how this miracle little like AI elves do it, but they have that capacity. So when I go to a fundraise up donation page, it will generate, it's usually for me, for some reason it's $40. That's like my, that's like my amount, which is pretty accurate, I think. So I think that's fantastic. The other thing I wanted to point out is that I talk a lot, or I used to talk to my friend, Stephen Chaddock. I know you know Stephen Chaddock, formerly of Bloomerang. He would always say, look in your database for hidden gems. So mm-hmm. who is that monthly donor that made an extra gift? Yes. Or who is that major donor that donated extra on Giving Tuesday? Or who yes. is this person that is, you can consistently see them donating more and more and more. So yeah using the data. So it's, it can be a little woo woo, but it also can be data informed fundraising, I think is a really important point as well. Yeah. I love data informed fundraising and the woo woo side of me really gets to that place of, okay, it's not my place to put my attachment to money for this ask. Right. So if we're going to ask, I just, I just went and met someone for a $150,000 gift. Could I personally, Jarrett Ransom, make a commitment of $150,000 right now in my life? No. Like that is fact right now because I know Mm -hmm. my finances. Is this person able to? 100%. 100%. And in fact, us asking this person $150,000 is the same as if they were to ask me for $20. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. in a comparable standpoint because... They, again, we did data-informed research. You know, they have names for higher education institutions. They, I mean, the data is that they have given and they're very philanthropic. And so, you know, our ask was actually a very small ask in comparison to the history in the community of where this person has given at such high levels. We're talking multi-million dollar donations. So again, it's, you know, $150,000 ask. It's a transformational gift for this organization when we get it. I'm going to say when we get it, not if. But at the same time, if someone were to ask me for $20, that to me is a little bit more comparable than $150,000 because I personally do not have that capacity yet. I'm going to also add a yet on there. Yes. <laughs> I see this so much in daily life, this mindset of, like you just said, I will get it. And you use the word yet. And all of that's really important, like the wording. And actually my spin instructor this morning, not on Peloton in person. I know she didn't make up this quote, but I love this quote. She said to reframe things in your life when you have to do something to say, I get to do this. Yeah. So I don't have to do this. I get to do this because we're healthy, or at least I'm speaking just for myself and my own experience. We're healthy. We, we are available, you know, we're physically able to go to spin class. Like we have time, we have resources, we have all of the things. So not, I have to do this. I get to do this. And I was thinking, what if we just changed everything in our life to say, I don't have to, I get to. So that's what you're talking about with fundraising also. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And, and I have spent probably the last 10 years 
consciously connecting to more spiritual offerings. And I remember hearing that for the first time. And it was like, it's not that you have to fold your laundry. You get to fold your laundry. And there are millions of people out there that are dying to have laundry, right? They are dying to have clean water and the the ability to have clean clothes on their back, right? And you know, I mean, in the social sector that we work, we see the most dire of the most dire. And I personally despise doing laundry, but I'm also so very grateful and thankful that I have the resources to have laundry to fold. Mm -hmm. And so it could be as simple and as silly as that, but you're right. We get to make a difference in our community. And the only reason nonprofits exist is because there is a problem in the community and the social profit, the social sector community has a solution for that problem, right? And so we get to invite people to be a part of the positive impact. And that's how I like to reframe fundraising. It's not like you're begging people for money. You are inviting people to be a part of the community solution. What kind of resources do you offer or or what are some books that you've read or how can we really embrace that energy? Because you have just such positive energy and you seem so passionate and you are really passionate about fundraising. I know a lot of my listeners and just things I'm hearing in the sector, and I know you too, people are burned out. People are stressed. People are overwhelmed. People have a million things on their plate. Fundraisers are now doing marketing and social media and volunteer management. How do we get back to that passionate, excited, motivated place where we want to invite more people into the mission? Yeah. As I just take a deep breath, because I could totally feel it. I've experienced burnout probably in the last 18 months. And ironically, I was teaching a a workshop on burnout and I had to share like, I'm in it. Like I am in it. This whole fake it till you make it mentality. I think that needs to go away because that is the same as the hustle and grind. And it's Mm -hmm. not healthy. Like it Mm -hmm. truly is not healthy. I've been following an, an organization. I have no connection with them, but I adore what they do. It's called NAP Ministry, NAP Ministry. NAP Ministry. And it's a nonprofit. Yeah, I would love to connect with them. Maybe they're listening. But I really do think that we have to set healthy boundaries. I think we have to model healthy boundaries. I think we have to, you know, take these mental health days, those days away, you know, it's like for no other reason other than for my sanity. And I I have to, you know, I did that yesterday. I took a mental health day yesterday. It was not planned, but when I woke up, I knew I was not a hundred percent and I could not fake it till I make it. And I needed to just go slow. I really needed to go slow. So I think, you know, when it comes to the burnout, when it comes to everything being piled on, I do really think less is more. And we always, I'm just as guilty, try to be in all the places, right? All the social media platforms, all the networking events, all Mm -hmm. the webinars. And the reality is that is not sustainable. That is really going to, to hurt us in our mental health space. And if you're not okay, your family is not okay. Your employees are not okay. Your donors are not okay. And just as you said, I love this, that you can read my passion in this. If you're not okay, other people will know that. Like they Mm -hmm. will see that you're not okay. And so I really do. I just want to take it back to healthy boundaries. Like we have less is more. And the more we can practice that and model that, I really think, you know, we have to model that it, you know, it's going to show up for us in, in spades. I always recommend, like you said, if you're burned out, definitely taking the time to process and to you know reconnect 
and taking mental health and physical health days, but connecting yourself to the mission. Again, I think as fundraisers, maybe if you're not working in a very small organization, you can be disconnected from the day-to-day mission. I know that's happened to me several times as development director. And I wanted that passion of asking for money, but I just had spent you know, three days just answering email or like doing the font change on the annual report or something that was just so not related so to tedious. the actual impact. Yeah. So I think getting back into the why and the reason that you love the cause or you love the mission or or why the issue is important is, is yeah. just really vital to keeping that connection. Uh-huh. But yeah. I love this. And we should have a whole different session on burnout, (laughs) burnout and overwhelm and strategies, because it's definitely an issue that I struggle with. And you do a daily show. We should talk about that. So tell me about about the nonprofit show. show. Yeah. March of 2020, as the world was crumbling, my co-host, the CEO for the American Nonprofit Academy, Julia Patrick reached out. She says, I have this bananas idea. Would you like to be a co-host on a broadcast? It's just going to be two weeks, like just, you know, until COVID-19 is over. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I could do that because otherwise, like, I don't know what to do with my life. Probably like many, I literally overnight lost 75% of my work. And I was like, sure. Yeah, I can do that. And then the other thing I, I like to share openly is I do struggle with depression. So I am day in, day out, constantly battling depression And so for me to have something on my calendar to look forward to, to get up and shower, get my hair, my makeup, it gave me more of a purpose, right? And so we are now three years into it. (laughs) So that two week just kind of like blew Remember we thought COVID would be over in a couple of weeks. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And it's still not over, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's still not over. So three years, over 600 episodes. You've been one of our phenomenal guests. Stephen Shattuck with Bloomerang has been a phenomenal guest. Our friend Floyd at Give Butter, like so many amazing people, yeah, have been on. And I'm just, I feel so very honored to be of service, um, to hold this space for our community and to open the airwaves to have so many different perspectives and leaders come on, you know, to share conversations. So every single weekday, 9.30 a.m. Pacific, it is live, but you can also find all of the recordings, uh, 600 plus episodes on pretty much all of the streaming channels, in, including podcast form. So I love it. I equate it to like opening up the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times mm-hmm. and just having like a really high intellectual conversation with other nonprofit nerds, which coming from me is a compliment. <laughs> oh, I love that. So tell us where we can work with you. How can we find out about the Ravan group um, and where are you online? Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely have um, a website, theravengroup.com, or if you type in nonprofitnerd.com, it redirects you there too, but it's T-H-E-R-A-Y-V-A-N group.com. On Instagram, nonprofit underscore nerd, that underscore is really important. (laughs) And LinkedIn, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'm probably the only female Jarrett Ransom on LinkedIn. But yeah, those are my platforms. So website, LinkedIn, Instagram, and thankfully to Meta, Instagram's connected to Facebook. So I still have a presence there, but I don't Mm -hmm. really play in in the Facebook space any longer. But I'm totally here to help 
be of service, help other people, you know, work through some of their money blocks. Again, not a psychiatrist, but I play one on podcast. And yeah, yeah, I just, I find it fascinating because I had to go through my own stories of, you know, those limiting beliefs of money. And then once I recognized it, addressed it, turned it around, I, I can't say it anymore, but I love asking for money. (laughs) Amazing. And I read your newsletter on LinkedIn. I really recommend everyone follow Jarrett on social media, check out the nonprofit show. We will put all of the links, relative uh, related links in to the podcast Mm -hmm. show notes. So this has just been a breath of fresh air, Jarrett. You're always just so pleasant and happy and positive, Mm -hmm. just radiate that great energy. So thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun. I wish everyone great success. I really do. We're all in this together. So thanks for having me. Well, hey there. I wanted to say thank you for tuning into my show and for listening all the way to the end. If you really enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. I would love if you left me a rating or a review because this tells other people that my podcast is worth listening to. And then me and my guests can reach even more earbuds and create even more impact. So that's pretty much it. I'll be back soon with a brand new episode. But until then, you can find me on Instagram at juliacampbell77. Keep changing the world, you nonprofit unicorn. Thank you.